I've poured an unusual amount of concrete in the last few years, like a quarter ton, bag at a time. I mean, that's not, a, that's not like a lot of concrete per se, but it's a lot for me. Like, I don't usually pour a lot of concrete. <clears throat> I did it because I was building things, three completely different things, um, but they all needed a foundation in concrete. If you, if you use it right, you, you design a, a, a good mold, a form for it. Um, it it's, a, it's a strong and long-lasting foundation for all sorts of unique things that can be built on top of it. Uh, almost literally everything in, in, that's been built in the world is resting on a, you know, a concrete foundation. As we continue to read this letter from Peter, this, this letter written by a man who knew Jesus personally, uh, intimately, closely, um, and, and covers the, some of the first applications of the gospel that Jesus shared with the world. These, these letters uh, provide not only the foundation, a, 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 re, a rewording, a repeating, a, 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 an articulation of the foundational truths of life, of the, the creation that God made, but also uh, application examples of what we do with that foundation. As we keep reading this, we need to make sure that we focus on the foundations, allow the concrete to be poured into and to ground our unique lives. We need to, we need to make sure that the gospel foundation is a, is a place, a solid place where new creative relevant things can be built upon it for Jesus' sake. Concrete foundation, unique, relevant things, lives. So let's turn to the third section of this letter and talk about wives submitting to their husbands. Communion went a little long, and so I'm going to try to make this brief. <clears throat> Submit. Just do it. <laughs> Let's start with a round of applause from those who've made this their life verse. <laughs> or enjoyed the easy and mutually beneficial application of it. You know why this verse is awkward for people, some people? Why this instruction is difficult? It's because it's often misunderstood and worse, misapplied. And not this, this concept. What I was suggesting to you earlier about foundations and unique things, it is not uncommon Unfortunately, it is not uncommon to confuse or to intentionally contort biblical applications 
with biblical foundations. Oftentimes, we take the gospel message, the first two chapters of Peter's letter, and we make that gospel a biblical concept to be intellectually grasped. And then we take the biblical applications and we make them gospel and their applications. They're not the gospel. They are not the foundation. And when we do that, people suffer. There's an example right here. You know, there are no chapter breaks in Peter's letter. There's no chapter breaks in the entire New Testament. We put those in. There's no headings in Peter's letter. We put those in. And we put them in in such a way that it highlights the application like that's the point. Let's start simply about submission. Is it right for a believing wife to submit to her believing husband? Absolutely. You know why? Ephesians 5. Paul. Listen to Paul. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Giving thanks always and forever and in everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah, absolutely wives should submit to their husbands. Why? Because all believers are called to submit to one another. Brothers to sisters, young to old, old to young, friend to friend, sister to brother, women to men, men to women, women to women, men to men, men to women, husband to wife, and wife to husband. Don't let the misapplication of scripture in your life or in the lives of others to lead you astray from or away from the proper application of biblical truth. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want to show you how when applied appropriately, the application of the gospel in the form of submission is, ironically, powerful. Right. It was my wife who said, right, <laughs> right down front here. <laughs> I love you, honey. <clears throat> Listen to what Peter says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives when they see purity and reverence of your lives. When Peter says, in the same way, he's referring to the things he just covered uh, that are similar, uh, and that would be civilians under governmental authorities and slaves under their masters. Saying, in the same way as those submit, be subject to. That word in the Greek is two words pushed together. The first one means under, 
and the second one means arrangement, under an arrangement. An arrangement understood in the Greek to be by God. So formally, the word being used right there, being uh, applied to wives in marriage is to be under the arrangement of God. God says, in essence, at particular times, I put particular authorities over civilians, masters over slaves, and marriages in place. Even if they are undesirable, even difficult, it is what I have for you at this moment. We believe in a God that is sovereign, a God that has uh, put things in place. He's either ordained it or he's allowed it, but they are all under his authority. And he says to us, hey, bloom where you're planted. God never says, subject yourself to something illegal, unethical, or immoral. Apart from those things, bloom where you're planted in the way that things are in the order, if you will, of the day. Live within the arrangements I've made for you. They are there by me for you and for many reasons many of which you don't know about even. The questions being answered by Peter regarding citizens and slaves and wives aren't particularly and specifically about civic obedience, a commentary on slavery, or marriage roles. But they are about the choices and the opportunities to radically live and apply the gospel for eternal purposes. Your circumstances are the context for the power of God. Your circumstances are something, again, apart from illegal, immoral, or unethical spaces to be accepted. Submission to authorities, to your boss, to your spouse, and to others is not the end point. It's not the goal. He's not saying to wives, the goal of your life, the purpose for your life is to submit to your husband. He's saying there is something much deeper going on within the context of your life. And if you're bucking against the context, if you're working against that, if you're angry about that, if you don't accept what I have put in place for you, you're wasting your life focused on the wrong thing. I have something for you to do within your context, even if it's hurtful, hard, and comfortable. Peter's not suggesting here that submission is the core definition of a woman's life. A woman's role in the marriage is not the point of the verse. 
There's a much greater reason. There's a much deeper why for the instruction with the God-ordained arrangement. There's an application here that is built on top of the foundation of the gospel, and it is for a woman. In this case, a first century patriarchal marriage. Peter is telling wives to submit to their husbands if any of them do not believe the word they might be one to Jesus. One to Jesus. They might be led to Christ. Peter's saying something like, within the constraints of your life, whether you're a governed civilian, you're an enslaved person, you're a married woman, you have a divine and eternal purpose in that space. Don't spend your energy rejecting the earthly space that is yours. You'll miss your eternal opportunity. Are you with me? You, no matter the life you have, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, you, built on a foundation of the gospel, rooted in Christ, can influence others. And most importantly, an unbeliever. It does put you in a vulnerable position, though, often. But this is our life. We've chosen to follow a suffering servant. We've chosen to follow someone who submitted to the powers and the authorities uh, in this world to his own demise, even his own death, in order to lead the world to Christ. This is the pathway of Jesus. It's not a pathway of power. It's a pathway of submission. And there is something powerful that happens in the believer's life for the sake of God that is crazy from the vantage point of the world and even ourselves most of the time. We've become convinced that the only way to truly get what you want to be who you are intended to be is to win. To dominate, to overpower, to rise above the others. And to follow Jesus is to be vulnerable is to allow yourself to be vulnerable, but for the greater purpose of allowing an opportunity for someone who has no eternal hope to eventually have it. In this case, a first century patriarchal society and marriage. We get stuck at submission because it's been sometimes grossly misapplied. But Peter's point isn't that a first century woman's core role is to submit to their husbands. He's saying that by deferring to this role, women and regular old citizens and slaves even have a priestly eternal role, an opportunity to rise on the concrete foundation of the gospel 
in your simple, normal life. To be empowered by the Spirit, not to become all that you can become, but to have the power to lay your life down and be like your king and allow someone to find their life. Peter's empowering the believer, and in this case, a woman. In a time when women, <laughs> they were arguably considered to be useless for most purposes of any significance. Peter is empowering a, a woman for the benefit of a man. This is a pretty big deal. He goes on to talk about the way they adorn themselves, and this deserves its own sermon. But I'm just going to say this. As you read through that, what you discover is Peter is saying again, woman, wife, you are more than what you appear as. You are more than your superficial appearance. You are more than your clothes and your adornments. There is something within you. And again, we're talking first century Jewish society to say to a woman, you have something purposefully deep within you, eternally meaningful. You matter is radical. The concrete hope of the gospel is finding a shocking and unique application in a woman's life. There is an admonition to believing husbands. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's always difficult to discover these things because it's always been a little bit uncomfortable to be as clear about them as we want to be. But in this particular case, when it says, consider it as you live with your wives, the meaning here is predominantly sexual. Don't overpower your wife for your own selfish gratification. Physically, this is what she's, they're referring to with regard to weaker. In most cases, not all cases, right? Can I just take a sidestep here for just a second? If I could have people understand any one thing about men and women is that they are different, generally speaking. In statistics, you would say uh, differing means, averages, and overlapping distributions. <laughs> there are ways where we're like the other gender but predominantly the average is that we are different 
but there are overlapping distributions. When he says women are weaker, there are, ca- there are some cases, maybe many, where the woman is not weaker, stronger. In most cases, they're weaker, and because of that, you tend to overpower them, men. First of all, you don't have a high regard for them, and so when they have something that they can offer you for your good, you tend to take it when you want it. Peter's saying, you can't do that. It's not appropriate. You're taking advantage where you should not take advantage. And when you do that, when you essentially are not loving the other person, you're loving yourself, your prayers are hindered. What does that mean? It means you begin to lose your sense of my presence in your life. You lose your connection and your direction with me. Husbands, In the same way, again, in the same way, he could have easily said, submit. In the same way, consider the other better than yourself. Don't physically, sexually take advantage of your wife. Stop demanding and hurting her. She's not a toy and she's not a possession which again is a huge message in this space. It says, treat them with respect. They didn't have any respect. The gospel foundation is finding radical application, and in this case, particularly in the lives of women. Treat them with respect, both cases, men and women. And this isn't even the most significant thing that's happening here. If you've been with us, we've had a couple situations where Adam and I were sitting here together at an old table and uh, sort of playing through the idea that we were two guys back in Cappadocia in, you know, 60 A.D., And if I'm back in that place, I'm a guy, an elder, a leader in the church. I'm reading through this letter again from Peter. I am stirred by the first two chapters, deeply stirred and reminded of the internal inheritance kept for me in the name of Jesus, the forgiveness that I've been given, the eternal hope, the new lease on and understanding of what life is. And when I get to 1 Peter 3 and read about wives submitting and them being weaker, I'm not reacting to that at all. Like I'm reading that like, yeah. Like we read that and lose our minds. In 60 AD, it's like, I guess, wives submit their husbands, they're weaker. And yeah, go on again. What, you know, why are you telling me everything I already know that is true? I'm not reacting to that. My head, though, is spinning as Peter describes that a woman's character and actions matter 
in an eternally significant way. That it is part of a woman's role to lead a man to Christ. <laughs> Are you with me? This is crazy. Reading this letter going, what? And then I'm falling off my chair when I read this in the second part of verse seven. You treat your wife with respect as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Women are not heirs of anything. And Peter's saying, they're heirs, co-heirs with you, husband, on the most significant inheritance of life, eternal life. They are co-heirs with you. I'm, I can't, as easy as it is for me to get my head around submission and weaker as a 60 AD leader in the church, I, this is going to take me decades and generations to apply because this train is moving down a completely different track. Women are co-heirs of the future hope inherit. This is unthinkable. Your wife is an eternal peer within a social location where she has no rights, no ownership, no inheritance. Women are now to be seen as what would be ludicrous, co-heirs, eternal partners with the same ownership, same rights, same independent standing before God. <laughs> it's an honoring and an empowering commentary about women. Not to the, so that they would themselves become domineering and start to win the day in the house, but to participate in the concrete foundational work of Jesus as the Spirit equips them and within the unique social location of a world 20 or 2,000 years removed from ours. Every good and healthy Christian relationship that I'm aware of includes submission, mutual respect, a clear-sighted understanding of one another's strengths and weaknesses, and a deference to one another in ways that lead to the flourishing of each individual and the relationship. My wife keeps a close watch on our finances, our expenses, and our savings. She's a detail person. When there's a mistake in accounting, she spends even if days, finding out where the mistake was. I tend to ask, well, yeah, how much was it? And if it's not very much, I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> she clips coupons, she saves money. <clears throat> we have established guidelines that we'd have agreed upon on how much we're gonna save and how much we invest and that we're gonna give 10% back to the church and more, just like everyone else when the time calls for it. For most of our relationship, I've set the course for our long-term investments. Why? Because I had a relatively decent understanding of it, and she didn't. As life has rolled on, she's basically caught up to me on that front. 
And she actually has a better intuition and investments than I did. Submitting recognizes one another's contributions to the flourishing of a relationship. Each spouse sees the other as a child of God to whom they are most importantly an eternal brother and sister, a co-heir with Jesus, gifted by the Spirit for unique kingdom value. Spouses are their own person before God, a direct disciple of Christ, and therefore independently directed by him, yet both of the spouses are joined as one. They're independently led, but they no longer operate or carry on independently, right? They're independently led, but they don't have an independent life. They're hitched. They're a two-horse team. Different names, different coat pattern, different dispositions, different strengths, but they've been chosen to be in that space by God. This is their order. This is their space. And they are committed to complementing each other along a conjoined path. So they're independently led, but they're hitched together, so they have to find a unique path forward, different than what would be an individual path. Tammy tends to yield to me when it comes to the greater risks that we're being led to take to God. I'm risk tolerant. You could say she submits to my leadership here. She's very honest in the process. Too honest, in my opinion. She says a lot of things. <laughs> it's challenging. <clears throat> I prefer a certain degree of denial and avoidance of what's going on at times. She's very clear about her own personal desires, yet she remains confident in not me so much as my followership of Jesus. When it seemed to me in 2006 that God might be calling us to help start Vista in Dublin, I told the Heritage Leadership team that I needed a month to pray, to include Tammy, to get uh, a lot of counsel from a different angles. When it was all worked through, Tammy said, I believe God is leading and that you're following him. I will always follow God. I will always follow you following God. I'm with you. I absolutely do not want to go. That's <laughs> a hard space to lead from. We're all in, but it's not the other's desire. Had God not got her on that same page, though, it's very unlikely we'd have gone. Yesterday, in tears, my wife expressed how I still tend to overpower with my opinions while disregarding hers. It's a rather frustrating character flaw to try to overcome because I'm largely unaware and I actually do value her opinion. Nonetheless, my effect is at times deflating, not sacrificial, not uplifting. I need to change that. I need to keep trying to change that. I need to submit to view and the experience that my wife has of me being not loving. It's just some examples, a glimpse of what I would consider healthy submission in our 
current situation and circumstance, one to another in our particular marriage. I'm different than Ron. I'm different than Tim and Gary and Matt and Spencer and Schaefer. And Tammy is different than Kim and Cindy and Zoe and Alicia and Allie and Ashley and Katie. And so those marriages are gonna be uniquely different, built on the same foundation. The relationships that other people have, the marriages that other people have, aren't gonna look exactly like mine. Submission between one and the other is not gonna be exactly the same. We are committed to the same gospel foundation, a very basic, strong, and lasting foundation upon which many and varied creative things can be built in accordance with that gospel with eternal purposes. Married couples are called to live out a life built on the foundation of a concrete future hope with God in the way of Jesus, sacrificial, servant, submitted. Back to this Cappadocian region where Adam and I were imagining ourselves being where, they, being where they would have received this letter from Peter in sort of northern Turkey. You know, some of the great fathers of the faith came from Cappadocia. Three guys in particular, Gregory of... I think it's Nazianus and Gregory of uh, Nyssa, which may have heard, and, and Basil of Caesarea. A big part of continuing to articulate the foundation of the gospel. But what's amazing, more amazing than how intelligent and articulate they were was what they did, the application that came on top of that foundation. And for them, Basil in particular, and one of the Gregs, was some of the very first healthcare centers open to the public, open to the poor, the homeless, the hurting, the, the sick. It's arguable that abolition of slaves came from first Cappadocia. The gospel finds its application and in many cases its power Imagine those that were led to Christ on the unique expression of a hospital, the first hospital that they would have been even acquainted with, those that were in it. And these guys, by and large, give credit, the two brothers in particular, to their older sister, Macarena, who also has a dance named after her. <laughs> These guys that went on to change the world intellectually for Christianity and in application and things like hospitals give most of the credit of their lives to their older sister. This is the fourth century. By then, the teachings of Peter and Paul had taken root. And women were leading men intellectually and by example. helping them to be all that God intended them to be, and vice versa. The hospitals didn't take root until a lady did one in Italy, Fabiana, known to be one of the richest in that country, 
sold everything to gain the capital, all, all that she had to have the capital to build a, a hospital in, in Italy. And then it took off. It started happening everywhere. I don't know your situation, but let me say this to you. You are completely free within the constraints of your life. Can I, can I repeat that? You are completely free within the constraints of your life to lose so that others might win. You are completely free to choose Jesus' way of sacrifice in order to make an eternal difference for someone else, even an enemy, even those who want to do you harm. You are completely free within the constraints of your life, your mind, your body, your abilities, your skills to be like Jesus. To yield. To reject violence. And to have a powerful effect. Jesus laid his life down when it was just getting going, made no sense, and changed the world. So what do you do? What do you do? Here's what you do. <clears throat> your opportunities are, um, what are your opportunities? To defer to the order of the day, the order of your life, to accept the God's circumstances and plan for you to live like Jesus, to suffer, but to create pathways for God. So hold on to a gospel foundation while allowing for application to take place in unique and relevant ways in your life and in your current reality. Watch out for where the world is compelling you to build on a foundation that is about your own promotion. Watch out for where the world is wanting you to believe and do selfish, temporal things to secure your identity, your belonging, and your future with threats of rejection and dissociation and lost opportunity. Watch out for that stuff. It's the wrong foundation. Ask a friend to tell you where you might have, or maybe even missing, an eternal opportunity to defer, to lose, to suffer where you're otherwise working for your own benefit. Ask somebody else. We're typically blind to those things. Instead, be like Jesus, make an eternal difference for someone else. So to repeat, the question we have to ask ourselves is where are my opportunities to be vulnerable? To let go of what's important to me, but to be beneficial to others, particularly those opposed to God. Here's Paul to the church in Corinth. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always consigned to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Christian, it is our unique opportunity and our greatest privilege to suffer that others might live. 
And we do it on the foundations of Christ. God, it is uh, against our fabric. It's against the grain of our lives and our world. But we know it's right because it's you. Help us to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.